Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated, and uh, you're going to want to pull out your Bibles uh, and uh, be in Galatians chapter 8. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 8. There is no Galatians chapter 8. It's chapter 5. Man, we're off to a tough start already here this morning. Galatians chapter 5, um, down in verse 22, is where, is where we are. We are talking through, as we have been the last few weeks, the, this list of what the Apostle Paul is calling the fruit of the Spirit, these attributes, behaviors, ways of being and thinking and acting that, uh, that are born in us as fruit is born from trees, uh, that, that are born in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, through God's presence and power working through us. And so there are, there are, no, <clears throat> there are, excuse me, there are nine of these fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the, this is the list that we're working through, and we're on number six this week. Goodness. Goodness. So it would be a good place to start then with the question, what is goodness? What, it, what does this word mean? Because in 21st century English, we've tamed the word good. We've sort of dumbed it down to mean meh. Or, or average or acceptable, right? So I travel a lot. Uh, and in some airports, when you come out of the bathroom, when you're sort of making that, that snake-like curve around like this, there'll be a touch screen on the wall, which is problematic in itself. Um, <laughs> um, but then on the touch screen, it will have a question. How was your experience with our restroom facilities today? Which is really a multi-layered question um, when you think about it um, that could lead to an existential crisis. But we're going to say today just that they're talking about the facilities themselves. And they'll have four little faces on them. And on the left, there will be a red sort of grumpy face and it will say bad. Right? And then the next one will be yellow and sort of straight lined emoji face. And it will say fair. Right? And then there will be a green one with a smiley face and it will say Good. And then there'll be the one at the end with stars coming out of its eyes, and it'll be like, excellent. I don't know what you have to do with the bathroom facility to get stars to come out of your eyes, but that's the scale um, that's on the touch screen that I'm not sure if you're supposed to touch with your I don't know. But, uh, but good is not the best. It's third best. It's next to excellent. That's better than fair. And so when I say to you, how are you doing? You say, I'm good, which is also interchangeable with, I'm fine which both are probably lies, but that's what we throw out anyway, right? Um, we just say good. We talk about it in sports, good catch, good throw, good game. We, we go to a good restaurant. We watch a good movie. We have, we have l- lost the power of the word good just from simple misuse and overuse of the word. When Paul uses the word agasthune, however... That's the Greek word that is translated goodness here. It means something much more significant than than this application of good. It speaks first to the character of something, to its essence, that in its core it conjures images of 
truth and nobility, the absence of defect or flaw, the presence of wholesomeness, something noble, true, kind. There's a steadiness, a rootedness of something upstanding and virtuous, an uprightness. It, it encompasses moral virtue um, and righteousness and then also the ability to protect and a strength and power that comes with resisting what wars against good. Good, goodness in this sense has the, is a descriptor of character and also has an action aspect to it. That, that, it's, that goodness is expressed. Goodness is about being good but then also about doing good. <clears throat> Goodness is virtue in action. It is doing what is right. It speaks to purity of motive and of, of means. It is, it's ethical behavior, but not a disconnected ethic, but it's related to compassion and kindness. Goodness is, is generous in that it's operating out of a, of a foundation of pure motivation, and we're led then to provide and care for others and to give away rather than grasp for ourselves. Goodness is character that leads to striving for right results in the right ways for the right reasons. But all of this goodness then appeals to a standard of some sort. What is good? Who determines what is right and good? And for us as Christians, for those of us who are Christians in this room and we read the scripture, what we see is that these fruits of the spirit that we're talking about find their source in the spirit of God. And therefore, the attributes that, that are, being, are being brought out in us find their roots in God himself. And so our discussion of goodness must be rooted and centered on the goodness of God. Is God good is the question then. Is God good? Well, Jesus actually tells us that no one is good except God. At one point in Mark chapter 10, it's recorded in other gospels as well, uh, someone addresses Jesus and says, good teacher. And his response is, why do you call me good? For no one is good but God alone. Now, that's intentionally ironic because Jesus is God as well. But his point is, no one is good but God. The Psalms say a lot about the goodness of God. Just as a, as a smattering of examples here, Psalm 106 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Or Psalm 119 that we're going to discuss a few different times today says simply this in speaking to God. God, you are good and you do good. You are good and you do good. 
So what we learn from the scripture is not only that God is good, but that he is the standard of goodness. What is good? Good is godliness. Good is the action of God. Good is the character of God. He has no evil within him. His motivations are absolutely pure, leading to flourishing and health. The New Testament tells us that he dwells in pure and absolute light that is so beautiful and good that we are incapable of penetrating it. That's how good God is. In in our culture, oftentimes goodness is looked upon as something weak or something that that requires contempt. Right? If you use sort of the old phrase that people don't use as much anymore, but the idea of a goody two-shoes, right, is not something that, that you go, this is what I aspire to be. Um, I, I aspire to be wholesome. I, I inspire, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like something that, that we want to be in our culture. And so there's a weakness that is associated with goodness, and that is a lie. Goodness is actually astoundingly powerful. C.S. Lewis discusses this best in his, in his Chronicles of Narnia books. If you haven't ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, read the Bible first, then, uh, then start reading the Chronicles of Narnia uh, after that. I've got a list, by the way. You just start there. I'll lead after that. There's some Lord of the Rings that's going to be involved, too. Um, but uh, um, so Chronicles of Narnia. In, uh, in his book, um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as he introduces a lot of Narnia and such, he intentionally uses a lion, Aslan, as the Jesus figure. And there's this famous quote about discussing who this lion Aslan is. So Aslan and Jesus are, 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 are interconnected, right? And so the, the Pevensey children are, are sucked off into Narnia and they hear about this lion that is the king of the realm and his name is Aslan and they are asking questions to the beaver family, okay? And so one of the sisters says this, well, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver responds, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And the other sister asks, then he isn't safe? And the beaver answers, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Later on, Lewis describes the children meeting Aslan, seeing him for the first time. It says this, People who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And then they found that they couldn't look at him at all and went all trembly. It's a good British phrase. They went all trembly because of the goodness of Jesus. When faced with his purity that is so good, so right, so intensely noble, it makes, it makes our heart beat simultaneously faster in exhilaration and fear and adoration and somehow at the same time offers peace. We want to run to Jesus and at the same time run away from him because the goodness of God is so powerful. We just go all trembly. 
But because he is so good and in his goodness is powerful, we find such comfort in his promises. Because he makes promises out of pure motive and he has the power to be able to make them come true. Aslan has the flowing gold mane that you want to snuggle with, but his claws and his teeth are also still very real. And it's all good. It's this kind of mix of good and terrible that we see reflected in creation. Because when God is good and he's the creator of all things, the things that he creates share some of his essence and therefore the things that God creates is good. If you track through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the creation of the world, there's this pattern where we see that, that God will speak something into existence and then he'll look at it and see that it is good. So it goes like this. In Genesis chapter 1, 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he goes on like this. The land, the water, the animals. And he sees that they are good. Because they are created by him. The New Testament confirms this as well, that 2 Timothy 4.4 simply says, for everything created by God is good. So goodness is more than just acting right. We see goodness in beauty, in art, in tranquility, in peace. When Karen and I will sit out on our back deck that that we laid with our own hands in chairs that I made with my own hands and we sit there and drink a good glass of wine on, on that deck in a cool fall evening and there I am with good wine in a pl- in resting from labors with the woman that I love and it's good. It's simply good. It's not sexy. It's not flashy. It's not, uh, it's not exhilarating even. It's simply Good. We see goodness in creation. We see goodness in the mountains. We see goodness in the ocean. Something deep and lasting and awe-inspiring. And there's a longing that is brought us, brought up in us in this to say, this is older than the temporary struggles of our life. There's just something simply good in this. But We also know in living in creation in the way that we do and being part of creation that all things are not good in the world right now. So what happened? Well, as as Christians, we believe that there's an overarching story in this book, the story of redemptive history that goes from the creation of all things and God creating things good to what's next. If that's in Genesis 1 and 2, what's next in Genesis chapter 3 is what we call the fall when sin enters into creation, when creation rebels against the creator, sin enters into the world when we rebel against the goodness of God and attempt to redefine goodness by our, in our own image and in our own likeness. Remember, the image of God, you are good and you do good. And so when, when we, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they took of the fruit that they were not supposed to take in order to become like God, that's what it says, you see that they, that they are questioning the goodness of the, the image of God within them 
because they have to, they need a different end. They need, this needs to be changed and, and, and we're gonna have a different means as well. You are good and you do good. Who they are, they felt like needed to change and in order to do that, they had to do things differently as well. And so the image of God and the actions of God, the purity of all of his creation then was twisted. That instead of Instead of participating with the goodness of God to, to bring about and cultivate more goodness, instead, our own means and our own ends began with grabbing. They took the fruit. There was a snatching of this fruit. And we begin to see this in our sin itself, a snatching of the glory of God, a taking upon ourselves his sovereignty, a taking upon ourselves the definition of goodness that is whatever I want it to be. And what we see when we talk about sin, we oftentimes talk about it in three categories. We talk about sins of commission, the things that we do, the things that we commit, right? And that's oftentimes the first way we think about sin, bad things we've done. And that's true. If goodness is you are good and you do good, and sin is rebellion against the goodness of God, that sins of commission are doing ungood things, right? Our, our methods and our means are twisted. But also we talk about sins of omission, things that we should do but that we are not, that we're neglecting the goodness that we, are, that we are called to do as well. And so the doing has been twisted. Do good has been twisted in, by sin, and sin is a twisted version of who we're supposed to be. But then there's this third category that we don't really like to talk about much in our culture right now. That there's sins of omission. There's sins of commission and there is sin nature. That because of what our first parents have done, that we are, that we are twisted. Both if God is, is good and does good, we not only do bad, we are bad. That, that's where the bad things come from, is, is the twistedness of our hearts. That we are born sinful. If you don't believe me, volunteer for the nursery. <laughs> you don't have to teach kids to be sinful, right? You actually spend a lot of time trying to teach them how not to be. But they, they, they in, their own, in their own selves are going to learn how to snatch and grab for themselves. The word mine is something that we learn early. And not just because it's easier to say than blessing but because our hearts, mine, it's mine. If somebody has it and we want it, we snatch it and we say, it's mine. And you see, what we see in the nursery being just snatching of a Lego from one child to another just simply grows with us as we get older and moves from snatching a Lego to coveting someone else's wife to being a world leader who then invades another country to take their land. It all finds its same source in the twistedness of our hearts that are not good. Sin is rebellion against the goodness of God. God's goodness is sometimes questioned by us when we experience evil in the world, claiming that because bad things happen that, good, that God must not be good 
But what we are experiencing is a creation in rebellion against his goodness. It's not a charge against his goodness. It is actually a charge against us when we've taken things into our own hands. Here are the results. We've rejected him, and the goodness of God is the hope of how things can be straightened back out again. The results of sin do not change that God is good, but it has pretty significant implications for whether we are good. Are you good? Am I good? Here's the deep, slightly complex theological answer. No. No, you're not good. And, and part of the frustration, like if, if I say that to you and then you kind of do this and go, I don't think I like what, I, what, I, what I'm hearing in this. Jesus himself, when called good, said, why do you call me that? Only God is good. Right? He deflected that to say, God is the one who is good. Not, no, no, I'm, I'm good. That's our sinful nature in itself coming out. It's trying to say, no, 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 this isn't about God, this is about me. If we have good within us, it's because of the image of our creator that has been given to us. And that we've seen that that's been twisted and skewed. Our therapeutic culture teaches a gospel that says we were good at birth and now we are victims of the world. Something has tainted us. Our parents messed us up or bullies at school or whatever else messed us up. We were good, but then we got messed up. A, a Christian worldview says, yes, those things shape us and hurt us and wound us. That our circumstances absolutely do play a role in how we are shaped, but that we are also very capable of sin all on our own because our soul is messed up from the very moment of our formation in the womb. The source of our motivations is bad, our heart. The scripture says that the heart is deceitful among all things, right? And so when the source of our motivations is skewed, when, when it says you are good and you do good and we are no longer good, what we do is, is twisted as well. So here's the good news, though, okay? Here's the good news. Really good, not just like there's four things and then there's the third one that's the green face good. I mean, like, this is the noble, significant, powerful, righteous, true, transcendent, good news of the gospel is that goodness returns in Jesus. It is actually the goodness of God, his, his loving of us even when we're in rebellion against him that causes him to pursue us in the midst of our disease of sin to help to save us, to come to be one of us, to enter into our twistedness and die to take the punishment for it in our stead. That is quintessential goodness that wants the flourishing and benefit and blessing of others, even at our own expense. That is the goodness of God in the person of Jesus. The whole story of the Bible is about the goodness of God, goodness as created, goodness as, as, uh, as rebelled against, and goodness restored in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible is about the triumph of the goodness of God. That's what this whole story is about. Jesus is goodness incarnated. It's his whole point of being here is that 
is that we, that the creator has come to restore the image of, of the creator that is within us. Here's, here's what I mean. In Galatians, here that, that we are talking about, Paul gives this whole list of works of the flesh that we've talked about a lot as well. The works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he goes on to compare that to or contrast that to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He takes the one and says, this, this is the works of the flesh. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is goodness. This is what is being restored within us. That's what Jesus came to do. He puts it a different way, very similarly, but different in Colossians chapter 3, where he actually uses, instead of a fruit metaphor, a clothing metaphor. He says this. Colossians chapter 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. This is how Paul lays out what is happening in the gospel, is that through repentance and belief in Jesus, the redemption that God offers to us takes off that old, twisted, sinful self and puts on the new self that is being restored in the image of its creator so that when God looks upon his creation and he says, and he sees that it is good, after we come to know Jesus and our sinful nature is put off and the new image that is being renewed in its creator is put on, that God can look upon us through the lens of Jesus and see it is good. Not because of our own effort, not because of our own triumph, not because we've buried somehow deep inside and found our own enlightenment and the goodness that is in our heart, but rather because the creator has come and scooped all the stuff that's in our heart out and replaced it with his image that he originally created us in, and that is what is good. That is the fruit of the spirit, the restoration of the goodness of who we are and out of who we are, a restoration of the goodness of what we do. You are good and you do good. So how do we be good and do good? How do, how do we do that? Well, listen, I can make a list. We could spend another 30 minutes going through a list of all of the good things. But that's not what I want you to see today. Where, what begins with goodness is a love of God. 
That's what it begins with. It doesn't begin with good action. It begins with the love of God. Loving God means repenting and believing. Repenting is an act of love that says, I realize that I've been in rebellion against your goodness, and I'm repenting. I need forgiveness. I need restoration. I want to then pursue you. To repent and believe is to articulate a love for God, who he is and what he does, and a longing to be with him and to walk with him. To love God. And then God and his goodness is about a generosity, an outward push for flourishing. Psalm 119 says, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Right? That next part is, you've got the goodness, now teach it to me. And God and his goodness does. What we need is a change in who we are. We need to be immersed in the character of God and all that is good. And, and we find this in here. We, you, you must be in the Word because you are immersed in the majority of your time in an alternative teaching of what goodness is, of a different view of reality. And so if there's not an intentionality of coming to the place where goodness is revealed, you have no chance for goodness. This is the living and active word of God that teaches us things like moral values and code, yes, but more than that, the example of Jesus and showing who Jesus is and what he is doing that compels us in love towards God and leads us to a participation in the Holy Spirit, which is where goodness comes from. We must be in the word. We must be in community. We cannot do this alone. I have a friend who describes the church as life together in the goodness of God. That's the church. Life together in the goodness of God. That's what this is supposed to be about. Not just a Sunday morning service and then we forget about it the rest of the week. It's a, it's a commitment together to follow God and a commitment towards the goodness of God, of learning how to be shaped and formed in that and also in how to shape one another in that and then how to reflect the goodness of God out in the world. When we gather together for worship, we are in awe of God because of his great and terrible goodness. We... We come and we worship because he is the one who deserves our adoration. He is the one in whom we find health and hope and flourishing and the security of his promises and the power that will bring those, those promises to fruition. He is the hope for this broken world to bring goodness into the darkness. And because he is, those all, is all those things, the source of goodness and the one who brings about the goodness, we come here to worship him. And, and to adore him and to pray for his movement in our lives and in our world. We come adoring and then we come in that adoration as his people to learn by the power of his Holy Spirit to be transformed by his power into goodness again. And we go out as the church to mirror that goodness, to, to show the world that there is a different way that is not snatching, that is not manipulating, that is not weakness but returns to the way things are supposed to be, the goodness of God, for he is good and he does good. And if we long for goodness, then we long for God. 
So I'm not going to make a list of all the good things you should be doing. I'm just going to exhort you and beg you to love the Lord, to seek him, to want goodness, to want. It is okay to want to be known, not for your own glory, but for the glory of God that you reflect, to be known as someone that people can trust, to be known as someone whose word is binding, to, know who someone, to be known as someone who is going to be steadfast and dependable, who, uh, who can be a person of peace, who can be a person who will seek wisdom, who will forgive and ask for forgiveness, who is bound by something greater than the whims of the, their own desires of their hearts, but actually led, transformed, motivated by, immersed in the goodness of the ancient God that we serve. If you long for that goodness, then you long for God. Love him. Call out to him. Pray to him. Beg him to bring about goodness in your life and in the world in which we live. And then, friends, rest in the hope of the goodness of God. Because, as we said, this book contains the story of the triumph of the goodness of God. Oh, the world is broken. The world is still in the fall. The world is still twisted and corrupt. But Jesus has brought the gospel that shows there is a new reality, that there is a new kingdom that is amongst us, a new sovereign reign of God, and it is good. He is the king, I tell you. And so in the midst of an occupied world that we live in, we hold true to the sovereignty of the good king, and we follow him him, and the promise is that that king shall return to make all things new, and when all things new, they are restored in the goodness of the image of God. And that is our great and glorious hope, that no war, no enmity, no strife, no evil can shake, because the goodness of God triumphs. Let that hope and that joy cover us now, and let us be ambassadors for this kingdom as we know the goodness of God and reflect the goodness of God through the power of his spirit. Let's be that church. Let's be those people. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Lord, fill us with a love for you. Fill us with a longing for you. Let us put aside all of our fear and all of our trembling at things that are not of you and instead come in fear and trembling before you because your goodness outweighs the evil of this world. And let us long for it. The goodness, the depth, the stability, the transcendence of your goodness. And let us reject those things of this world that are, that are enticing but harmful and temporary. And let us long for the steadfastness of your goodness. And give us hope, Lord, that the goodness that is you will triumph in our lives and in this world. And so then let us live by the power of your spirit as people who reflect your goodness and as reflect the hope that we have that your goodness wins. In Jesus' name, amen.